Hey, good morning, Marie. Morning, Jesse, or afternoon, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> so you launched your big uh, overtime feature. Uh, we did. We did. That one uh, took a little while. Um, I would say almost a month from the time we s said that we were going to do it. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where it looks simple on the surface, but as you start to go through it, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into account. And then the design itself was kind of a tricky thing as well, just making sure it fit with everything. But yeah, we launched it yesterday, had a bug report almost like immediately, like the same day. <laughs> the typical thing where like you're about to go to bed, it's about 10 o'clock at night and there's like, okay, something's wrong. You have to fix it. Of course. And, and I think that's the challenge because like I'm based in Australia. So most of the Llama Life customers are in the US which means when I'm about to go to bed, they're kind of waking up, which makes it really tricky from a support mm. perspective. It's just something that I, I mentally have to draw the line and say, okay, I, I can't answer any more emails or support tickets because I need to rest. It, it was really good. It was um, a bit of a thrill to launch it, you know, that excitement. <laughs> and now comes everything else, which is, you know, all the marketing stuff around it. I think a lot of people think you launch a feature and you code the feature you put it out there and then that's it. But there's so many things that we need to do after that. So we kind of have this big checklist of things posted on Twitter, posted on LinkedIn, posted on Reddit because we've got a subreddit as well. And right. write an email to customers about it. Uh, make sure it's on our landing page. There's so many little things like that that need to be done afterwards and trying to keep momentum up around the, the launch and the news of the launch. Yeah, that kind of reminds me. Um, so I'm writing a book, which, oh my gosh, is such a <laughs> difficult process. One of the things that I've heard a lot from different like podcasts and other resources in kind of reading about like what it's like to like how to launch a book. Everyone says like the launch is just the start. Getting the book out there, it's like you did it. Cool. But your launch is actually mm -hmm. like the next year or so as you need to like promote it, let people know about it and kind of all that, like launching it is just sort of like entering that new phase. And it's, you know, kind of similar, like you're saying with the feature, because great, you did all this work and you, you have it out there and now you have, you know, kind of like another key feature for the premium version of your product, which is great. But now you have to let mm -hmm. people know one, that it exists and two, like how much easier it's going to make their life or how it's going to improve things and kind of let people know about this great thing that maybe they didn't know that they were missing. And you could almost argue that, well, the launch is, launch is just another step in the whole process. Like the, um, it kind of starts when you're thinking about the feature or, you know, even building it and sharing that that's kind of launching as well because you're talking about it and marketing it. So I guess it's kind of just one step in the whole marketing mm -hmm. thing where you, it's building in public. I don't know how many tweets I did about this feature before it launched, but that in itself generates a bit of excitement around the feature and people start looking out for it. And you've got to remember that even if you tweet once, it doesn't mean people are going to see it. Like I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not checking Twitter all the time and it's very easy to miss something in your feed. So if you post about it a few times, that's, that's actually fine because people aren't going to see every single one. Right. Not everyone sees everything. I think another thing you can do as well um, I do this sometimes. Sometimes if I tweet about something that I'm kind of, you know, wanting to hear more feedback on, I'll tweet a thing and then I might like reply to my own tweet, you know, like 12 hours later or the next day or something. And then it sort of like resurfaces it to people that yeah. maybe didn't see it the first time. And you can do retweets too. And I do plenty of that, like retweeting my own thing to kind of get more coverage 
or whatever. But I find that like kind of doing a reply really brings it to the top for people. And then I find people will start replying to the first tweet and maybe not even having the whole context of that thread over time. So rather than posting a big thread at once, it's just sort of like throughout the week updating this thread. And every time you add a tweet to it, it kind of resurfaces for people so they can see that original thing that you were talking about. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I do that as well, that reply. So when you you do your original post and you're the one replying to your post and then you add to your reply and add to your reply again. And like you said, it just bumps it up and bumps it up and Mm -hmm. keeps all the content in the same thread. Yeah, that is a really good way. I don't know if people know that, but it's um, it definitely bumps it up. Right. I don't do the retweet thing as much. I don't. I'm not sure how I feel about the retweets. Like on one hand, it makes sense because people are on in different time zones. But then I go mm-hmm. and look at somebody's profile, and I keep seeing double of everything. <laughs> and so I've kind of avoided doing that on my profile. But I do see a lot of other people doing it. Originally, I was kind of against it. Like early days when I was kind of like doing more of this, you know tweeting online and like expecting to share it with people or whatever. I think the Twitter app does a good job of sort of like not bombarding people with it. So one thing I was like really afraid, I was like, I don't want to like keep retweeting my own stuff and then have people feel like, wow, Jesse retweets himself a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found that that usually doesn't happen. I mean, the one thing that you point out is the case and I wish it wasn't where if if you go to my profile, the tweets you're going to see are like, most of them are going to say retweeted by Jesse because it kind of shows mm-hmm. retweets there. Mm-hmm. But in people's actual timeline, I don't know this for a fact, but when someone's seen a tweet of mine, if I retweet it later, it usually doesn't resurface that. I kind of expected that I was going to get a bunch of people complaining like, oh, can you stop retweeting or that I would retweet a bunch of stuff and then people would unfollow. But I've found that to not really be the case. Um, and I kind of wish... I could change like the profile so that it didn't show the retweeting because I do think that's kind of frustrating. But when it's global on Twitter, you know, there's people in all different time zones. And a lot of times I'll have a tweet that didn't kind of do that much. And then a retweet will happen at, I don't know, the right time that it would just sort of like find a new audience. And then it would like blow up almost like it was a new tweet because all these new people are just discovering it for the first time. Yeah. And maybe Twitter has changed something because I'm on your profile now and I'm not seeing double of each tweet. But then again, sometimes I do notice like if you might tweet content, maybe it was from a few weeks ago. And you'll retweet that. But that that's perfect for you because your content's mm. kind of evergreen. It's not time sensitive. Right. You might tweet about something, um, you know, that's ADHD related that your audience can empathize with or they highly relate to it. And it doesn't matter. It's it does. There's no time element to it. It's just like you get it or you don't or you, you like it or you don't. Whereas I think my timeline mm-hmm. is is more time sensitive. Like, hey, we launched this thing. We're working on this thing. So you retweeting content from a while back that is great content. I think that works. I don't see the double on yours at the moment. I'm just looking at it now. I think they got rid of the double, but it does keep Mm. like you can see above a bunch of the tweets I have that it says retweeted by. Retweeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So you can kind of see that it was retweeted. But yeah, I think you're right that it used to be that it would just like double up a whole bunch. And now it doesn't do that as much. So if someone follows me and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesse. I see all your retweets and it's really annoying. Please let me know because I would want to know if that's happening. Because I I don't want to be that annoying person that's like dominating someone's timeline because I'm retweeting myself. But my understanding is that's not the case because I've never haven't had anybody say that they're seeing my stuff way too much. And part of it might be like you said, like a lot of the, the content I do is pretty evergreen. It's sort of like 
I don't know if you've heard this. I've heard some people call it's not quite what I do, but they've called it like broetry, which is kind of like the, you know, like yeah, like well, these poetry, kind of you know, no, yeah, like poetry, but the you know, like kind of the crypto yeah. bros or whatever. Because like Naval, like he posts a lot of like little kind of wisdom quips, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and because he's gotten really you know popular from that, a lot of other people have kind of done it. And yeah, I've heard it called broetry, which I think is pretty funny. Um, and that's not, that's not quite what I do, but it is similar in that like a lot of the content I post is kind of like, you know, it's like short little thoughts or quips or something like that kind of related to the experience of having ADHD. Uh, yeah. So I do occasionally post some, some of my own broetry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I've never heard that term, but you've had some really viral tweets lately. Some of them have, you know, like 36,000 likes. I think I saw one the other day that had you know, 70, yeah, 77,000 likes. <laughs> what happens there? Like, is your, um, did you have to turn your notifications off or something? Or are you getting DMs like exploding? What's, what's happening with those viral ones? It's pretty chaotic. So I definitely turned off notifications a long time ago and Twitter like limits the amount it shows anyway. So it just, if you have 20 or more notifications, it just says 20 plus. Okay. Because it's just kind of like chaos beyond that point. And like I've had viral tweets before, but it feels like lately I've really kind of I've hit a, quite a few out of the park lately. Like, yeah, I had that one you said, you know, I got like 77,000 likes. And it basically just means that my notifications are worthless. I <laughs> So people are mm. replying and I don't see any of it. And yeah, like my DMs blow up. I've had to turn off my DMs from time to time. They're open right now. When that happens, it's just kind of chaos and it's hard to really control anything or know what's happening. So I just kind of ignore it. And then I'm like hoping that there's not something really important in there that I'm missing. And I'll try to kind of like jump in and like take a peek and just sort of like scan. Like, is there anything in here that someone I know or looks like it needs a response? Um, but the other thing is it kind of it's it's grown to the point where it feels almost like it's less about me giving something to the audience or something like that. And it's more about like me prompting a community. Mm. And so like I'll post this tweet and it'll take off and a lot of people will like it and retweet it and stuff. But even more than that, people will reply. It almost like becomes a forum at that point because someone will post a reply and then a lot of people will reply to them as well. And so there's this whole kind of like community that builds around like, hey, Jesse posted this one thing that sort of brought up a common ADHD topic let's now dive deeper together. And like, I see that happen, which is really cool. And I, it feels like there's this real community aspect to it. And I'm kind of, you know, I'll kind of like jump in at points when I see it, but there's kind of so much I can't track at all. Mm-hmm. But it really feels like people are connecting and learning and all that stuff through there, which is awesome. I feel kind of honored to be able to prompt this sort of response, uh, which has been, yeah, just been really amazing. I think that's spot on because I've been noticing it as well. Like it's less about one to many. It's like many to many. Like that once you prompt yes. them, everyone's just chatting with each other. It kind of has a, a life of its own in a way. It's just grown exponentially, I think. Exponentially is definitely the way it did. I think at the beginning of the year I had like 12,000 followers or something in January. And now it's over 70,000 well, followers. And it's just sort of like, it's been wild. Um, and a lot of that is from that. I think Twitter Twitter has like its communities feature, but it's kind of terrible. <laughs> um, and so I kind of find that this, like my tweets have helped like become its own kind of community, which is kind of, 
it's like awesome and also like unwieldy. Like I don't have any control over it. I just sort of like tweet things and then like the people that follow me jump jump in there, which is like, yeah, it's it's been a really fun experience. And yeah, the exponential growth has been uh, pretty wild. Just watching it kind of, I don't know, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm just sort of doing the same thing. And I think I'm getting better at it, kind of knowing what sort of things to talk about and how to connect where people are. So much of it is just like, hey, this is something I used to be embarrassed about, like ways I thought about things or the ways I acted. You know, I've talked a lot lately about just like, you know, when my routine gets thrown off and it just like derails my entire day. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that I felt like I was broken. And it's like, I don't know, something's wrong with me. This thing happens to me all the time. And in the last few years, just sort of discovering once I was diagnosed with ADHD and then meeting more and more people with ADHD, like there's so many of these things that are like, oh, we all thought we were alone with this thing. And so now like Twitter has, you know, and other social media has like created this platform where we can discover each other and find out like, hey, yeah, we're all kind of weird, but we're weird together. <laughs> and so like a lot of these ways that we used to feel isolated, we can feel community instead because we have found the other people that kind of connect with that and feel the same way. I think what you're describing is basically what makes a good Twitter account, which is that it's kind of niche in a way. So it's on one topic and your content is super relatable. So it's really easy for me to just hit the like button because I read it and I go, yep, I do that too. Or, <laughs> you know, like, cause when, when someone's hitting like, it's either in support, like maybe you hit a certain milestone Say with Llama Life, it might be, oh, I, I launched the feature. That's a celebration. So somebody might hit the like button because they're kind of celebrating with you or you've written something that they highly relate to. And then so they're like, yeah, I, that's me as well. So I'll hit that like button. Or it right. could be that you gave them some nugget of wisdom and they're like, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, I, I like what you just said. But I feel like yours kind of hits all three of those. But for me, that's what makes a good Twitter account. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I like the stuff, but there's a reason it's so easy to hit that like button. Mm -hmm. I can see mm -hmm. myself in the tweet. And you get that a lot, actually. You get people commenting like, oh, you know, they're joking, but they'll say stuff like, I'm in this tweet and I don't like it. Like that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they always yeah. have a funny emoji or something and... It's, um, yeah. this, this person just wrote, I'm looking at one now. It says, I did not come on this website to be attacked like this, but he's got an emoji. Like he's, he's joking. <laughs> he's obviously highly relating to what you just said. I get that a lot. Like kind of the combination of, I feel both seen and attacked, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, uh, which is pretty funny. Yeah. I, I find yeah. that pretty hilarious. And like you said, it's, yeah, people are joking about it it's lighthearted, and it's like i feel attacked just because it's like i feel so seen that i feel mm. kind of attacked a little bit honestly that's the same way i felt when i was first reading like the book driven to distraction and other books on adhd it felt like they were just like pointing out these things about me that i thought was like my big secret um <laughs> and so mm. having it almost like called out in a book is like hey this is a common thing people with adhd struggle with it's like ooh, i thought this was my big shame but it turns out that this is just common when you have this uh type of brain so mm. yeah so i can totally understand why yeah why people say that kind of speaking of that so i just recently 
renamed myself everywhere, which has been kind of a weird experience. Mm. Before, I just used my username that I've used forever, which is just like my name with the middle initial, so Jesse J. Anderson. But I've always found it like it's kind of annoyingly long. So like I have jessejanderson.com. Yeah, it's kind of annoyingly long and it's prone to have misspellings. So people will spell my first name wrong or say Jesse J. Anderson and they think J is like a name like J-A-Y. Or they spell Anderson wrong because it can be S-O-N or S-E-N. So it's like this Mm -hmm. kind of jumbly. I've I've never really liked it. Like now that I have to share it, like if I'm on a podcast saying, hey, go to my website, jessejanderson.com or twitter.com slash jessejanderson. I always feel like I have to explain it more. And it's slightly annoying. It's like not that big of a deal, but it's just kind of slightly annoying. And I recently tweeted just sort of asking for some alternatives because I was like, maybe a lot of you know people with ADHD or maybe entrepreneur types, we I own a ton of domains. I come up with ideas and buy domains like all the time. So I had several sort of ones that I was considering using as like my main website in addition to just justjanderson.com, but I had like jjadhd.com, uh, adhdjesse.com or jesseadhd.com. And I had other ones and I was kind of looking to move to a shorter URL. And actually I didn't, I did not have ADHDjesse.com. And that was one that somebody suggested, I think, or maybe I can't remember if someone suggested it or I thought of it right after I'd posted the survey. I think you did a poll that said Jesse ADHD and someone said, what about ADHD Jesse? Which yeah, they just, I think they you're kind right. of flipped it. And, it. and it's so much, I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Basically what you're talking about is kind of branding and um, I think it's such a good rebrand because like you said, when you're doing the domain, like just, I think Jesse J. Anderson does roll off my tongue really easily, but the fact that you have to explain it every time is, is, is really Mm -hmm. hard. And I have a similar thing with Llama Life because we're just small. I couldn't afford to get the .com domain. So I just got the .co, like .co. And every time I give the URL out, I'm like, yeah, it's llamalife.co. That's, you know, .co. It's not .com, it's .co. But every single uh, time yeah. I have to clarify that. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's it's kind of frustrating. But being able to get a .com, so you got ADHDjesse.com and have a keyword in there, which for you is mm-hmm. ADHD, you might still have to spell the Jesse, like because Jesse could be, you know, J-E-S-S-E or J-E-S-S-I-E. But it's still way better and shorter and got the keyword in there too. I've heard so many misspellings of Jesse, uh, like J-E-S-S-I-E, J-E-S-S-E-Y, J-E-S-S-E-E, J-E-S-S-I-I. There's like there's like 10 different ways that you can spell it. But the two most common by far are the way I spell it, J-E-S-S-E and J-E-S-S-I-E. Like those are the two most common, especially being a male. Like those are the two most likely ones I'm gonna get. And so I went ahead and bought both of them. So ADHD, Jesse, either one of those spellings.com. And yeah, so somebody, someone suggested the name and I immediately was just like, why did I, it's like, it almost feels silly to be like, yeah, it's a rebrand. It's just like my niche and then my first name and that's the new username. But it really does seem to like fit. And I quickly, you know, grabbed the, Twitter handle and Instagram. And yeah, it just feels so much nicer just to be able to say ADHDjesse.com and have that username places. Yep. And I also came up with a logo that I really like. And so I quickly put that places too, where it's basically kind of two triangles that are like for the A for ADHD and then the J. It felt really weird changing my name because I've been Jesse J. Anderson 
for so long. It was never like intended to be a brand before. It was just like, that was just my username that I used kind of everywhere. Once I made the switch and updated, like updated Twitter. So I'm using the new handle and Instagram and the website and kind of stuff like that. It just felt like, yes, this makes sense. Why, why didn't I do this before? But either way, it makes a lot of sense going forward. And I don't feel like it traps me in a niche because like I'm always going to have ADHD. And if I ever did decide I want to change, that's not like doing this change right now was pretty easy. It wasn't that big of a deal. SEO wise or whatever, like it gets my keyword, it gets my niche right there in my name. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I was sort of doing like my my display name was Jesse G. Anderson. And then I kind of tacked on ADHD creative because I was trying to like, hey, if people search for ADHD, I want my name to come up. Mm -hmm. And now I don't have to do that. It's just like ADHD Jesse, like it's part of my brand now. It's part of the name. So I don't have to like try to sneak in the keyword because it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, built in that way. Yeah. And I guess on one hand you could go, well, ADHD Jesse sounds so simple and sometimes people try and come up with fancy things, but ADHD Jesse is so to the point, right? It's the topic you talk about and it's you <laughs> mm-hmm. because when you changed it and you, and you, you, you DM me and said, Hey, I changed it. I was like, you know, it took me a second. I was trying to th- remember what you had before. So I was trying to remember like the ADHD creative part that was your brand before. And I was like, I couldn't remember it. And, and, and I guess that that really speaks to the fact that doing a change was a good thing because if you can't remember somebody's brand, then it's not working. Right. You have your name as a brand as well. So that helped, I think. But the tagline of ADHD creative, I was like, what was the old tagline again? What was the actual Twitter <laughs> handle? I couldn't remember. And so I think it's, I think mm. it's a brilliant move and, you know, just having the logo as well helps because you can put that everywhere. And I think you're at the point where your audience is big enough that the branding is the thing you look at next because before you were kind of just building it around yourself and your name and now you've kind of, it's still you, right. but you've kind of formalized stuff a little bit more. And um, when people see those two triangles, hopefully they just think, you know, Jesse. So yeah, <laughs> I think it was, I think it was brilliant. Awesome. Well, thank you. And yeah, like mentioning the two triangles, I already pointed out to you, but I think my favorite part of the logo I put together is that there's two, there's a, two Unicode uh, triangles you can do one that's like filled pointing up and then one yep. that's outlined pointing down which looks really not quite but similar enough to my logo that I feel like I can like just sort of like put that randomly places as like a little tag which is just kind of a fun easter egg for me it's it it's kind of one of those delightful design things where I'm like it makes me smile every time I see it and so I kind of like that it's just like a little little treat to put in there or yeah those little design details I love that speaking of design details back to your overtime feature. I didn't mention this before, but I saw in the email and it looks like I, I think you nailed it. The design looks great. It looks really like engaging and sort of like fun, the little like kind of animation stuff, the way it works. And I know that was mm. something you were specifically kind of concerned with before. And yeah, I think it looks like you really, you got it. Are you feeling really happy with it? Yeah, I'm feeling super happy about it because the hard thing is design's like a weird thing where you can design something on its own, but in this case, you have to design it to fit with the existing design language or design style. And also that yeah. the the fact that you want people to feel like it's fun. So I'm really happy that you, you say it looks kind of fun with the animations and all that because that took a while to get right. Like it's a feeling we're trying to bring mm-hmm. about, which is really quite hard, I think, like yeah, it's just, it was super hard, but um, I like where it ended up for sure. There's always little improvements that can be made, but yes, very happy with it. Awesome. The 
other thing we're working on is onboarding, kind of guiding somebody through how to use the app. We kind of neglected it for a while because, you know, I was just thinking, well, it's pretty simple. <laughs> the, the typical like <laughs> founder mistake where you go, hey, I think it's really easy. Like I think people will just get it. But we just had so many emails where people ask questions about a specific feature or how to do something and it's it's already there and it's in settings, but they've never, maybe they've just never gone to settings or spent time looking in settings. And the thing with Llama Life is that mm. it looks super simple on the surface, but if you really want to get into it, there's a lot of customization you could do, but you have to go into settings to discover that. So there's a bit of a danger that you look at it and go, oh, this is too simple. Mm. There's nothing here and you, you right. leave. But at the same time, we want to make it simple because if it's too complex when you first jump in, then you could also leave because you might be overwhelmed with what you're seeing. So, you know, how do you strike that balance between having a, a simple um, first impression, but then know that you can make it more customized as you go, depending on what you need. We're trying to address that in the onboarding. So we've been tweeting a little bit about that, thinking about the steps people go through. How do you get someone to feel value from your app? as soon as possible. So we call it time to value. Like how can we shorten mm, time mm -hmm. to value? And we basically look at, you know, a retention graph and say, okay, well, we know people are super excited in the first seven days. So we get so many emails saying, oh my gosh, I just discovered this product. I've had like the most productive day ever. Like there's so much excitement on mm -hmm. day one. And I think with any sort of productivity tool, you've got the tool, which is just a tool. Like at the end of the day, it's just a tool. You have to meet the tool halfway as a person. Like you have to use the tool, right? Like <laughs> right. I think we might've talked a bit about this before, but it's, it's like we design half a product, but the user is the other half of the product because they're the ones who have to actively use it. It's not like I say if I, something like Uber Eats, I order my food and it shows up and then I know I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but I order my food, it shows up and that's kind of the end of it. Like I paid for it, I ordered it and I got my food and I'm all good. Whereas with Llama Life, you kind of have to be the one driving it all the time. Um, we can add like different features, but you're the one sort of using it constantly and you have to do the work. Like you're, it's trying to help you be productive, but you're still having to be productive outside the product. And the product just helps you organize the work and keep you focused, keep your day structured but you're doing the other half of the product, which is, which is you have to do the work in order to feel you got value from the product. Yeah, that's the thing we're struggling with is like, how do you make people feel that they get value from it very quickly in that first seven days? Mm. And doing the onboarding, kind of having some tool tips, guiding people through sort of creating their first task and finishing their first task and getting exposed to certain features, but not too much. So they feel like, there's something here and I want to keep using it and I'm getting, most importantly, I'm getting value from it and it's helping me throughout my day and I want to keep using it because it's helping me. It's super hard. Somebody, somebody posted on Twitter. I think I posted about the onboarding and someone posted, uh, we did all these drawings of the onboarding, like how does this flow go? And somebody posted like, yeah. how many hours did that take? And I'm like, uh, not hours, like we've been working on this for days because it's not that simple. <laughs> it can look simple, but like there's a difference between good and great. And I think we could do a good job if we did it in a few hours, we could easily sketch out something, easily add some tool tips, but in order for it to go from good to 
to great, like actually really understanding someone and like, where do you draw that line between the simplicity and the complexity and what to show people when, like that stuff takes time. So it's not a few hours, it's been days and we're not working on it 100% of the time every day, but it's like, we do a bit one day, we let it breathe, we come back to it, we think about it, we'll come back, we'll kind of reflect and we'll come back. So it's been a process over, you know, I would say the whole week, this week, thinking about stuff and talking it through, trying to imagine like, is this going to do what we need it to do? Um, so that's been pretty interesting and we should have a good update on that for the next pod because it's kind of just starting now and I'll tweet about it as well. But it's, it's, it's a really interesting one, I think, because if you can't get people past the first seven days, well, then there's nothing. Like they might just leave and never come back. Yeah, so it's a super important uh, process to go through. Yeah, I think like focusing on really kind of nailing down that that onboarding is a really great kind of point of differentiation for, you know, in a crowded market, like there's a lot of productivity apps. And I think what you're doing with Llama Life is uh, awesome and unique. But I think like doubling down and focusing on like, how do we make this onboarding experience. Yeah. Like you said that like time to value or whatever you said, like getting to that value as soon as possible is so key and can really make, it can make that difference because people are, when you're trying a new product, you're looking for a way out right away. <laughs> like part of you wants it. Like I want this to be the solution, but another part is like, I've wanted a lot of things to be the solution and they weren't. So I want to find that thing that's going to make this not the solution as fast as possible. So you're trying to navigate that first experience of like, how do we get them to the value so they don't want to move on to something else? Um, and yeah, I think too many products don't spend enough time thinking about the onboarding. Like I've used products before and you jump in and I'm like, man, this feels like there's a lot of features here, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so that's the, that's a product where I'm like, well, did I put in my credit card? Cause it's time to decline it. Or hopefully I'm on a trial so I can just walk away. The principle we, we're applying is that, so Llama Life is a product to help you focus and kind of manage your attention. So we're trying to use that lens and go, okay, well, when someone first comes into the product and they go through the onboarding, we want to manage their attention there too, right? Like we want to tell them what to look at, when to look at it, what to do, and basically just hold their hand through that and manage like where they're focusing on in the app at any given time. And it fits with the target audience. It fits with what the app is trying to achieve. So why not just make that flow all the way through the onboarding as well? well? We'll tell you exactly where to look, what to do to get to that first sort of value point, which in our case is like when you complete your first task and you realize, oh, I actually did what I have been struggling to do and I feel great about it. Like that is the, that is the thing we're trying to hit super quick. Like that is the value point for us. And it's going to vary for... Mm -hmm every single product. But for, for me, it's like get someone to do their first task and feel great that they did that first task. That is the the first time they should feel like, oh, wow, this app is something that is working for me. You know, with something like Uber Eats, maybe you do your first food order and it arrives and you're like, oh my God, that was great. You know, I just clicked a few buttons and someone showed up at my door. <laughs> like that is like the first, I guess it's like a magical moment where you go, oh, it actually is doing something for me. I like this. So we're trying to just yeah. get to that like super quick. Yeah, that reminds me, I think it was uh, Zappos. Like this is years ago, like an old example, but I think Zappos used to like, if you bought something, they would upgrade without even telling you, they would like upgrade you for free your very first order. So there was like overnight shipping. So the first time you bought something in their store, mm -hmm. it would show up the next day. And so it kind of oh, gives you awesome. that initial like, 
oh, this is a great service. Like, wow. And obviously it doesn't do that every time, but kind of like front loading that value. So immediately you feel like this is a really cool company that values me and is, yeah, kind of putting their best foot forward for that initial experience, which I think is uh, awesome. I really like that, what you just said, front loading that value. I mean, it's like you said, it, it still is going to carry on throughout the app, but front loading it so they experience it. Yeah, it's, I guess it's the same kind of thing, time to value or front loading the value. Yeah. Just making people feel like that wow kind of moment ASAP. I didn't know about Zappos and the and <laughs> delivery, but that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Yeah, so I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. We're going uh, a little bit long. I do want to update and say, I think last week, uh, my commitment was to write a script for YouTube video, and I totally did not do that <laughs> at all. But I have done a couple of uh, other interesting things with the YouTube, and uh, maybe we can talk about that more next week. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so my commitment was to do the overtime launch, which we did. And the other thing I committed to was um remember we were going to add sort of animations when someone starts a task to kind of reward starting a task not just ending a task or completing a task because oh that's right yeah because yeah. i find it really hard to start sometimes so i would you know i would like it if someone gave me a pat on the back for just starting so i guess i'm just in the research phase right now so i'm i've just done a bit of research on you know how to do different types of animations and decided that i'm going to use um the html canvas to, to create them. We already have an HTML canvas for some of the animations. So it's just kind of, kind of piling on that. Yeah. I have a couple ideas, so I guess I've started on it. It's not finished, but, um, it's something that we'll go into, into next week. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, um, have a good rest of the week and I guess we will see you next week.